we jump into John chapter 14, it continues to be wonderful, rich literature, rich text format. Everything is amazing in, in the book of John and in the Bible itself. But John 14 is so gorgeous and so fantastic. Let's, let's open with prayer. Father, please, in your kindness, teach us, O oh Lord, from your holy word today. Thank you for this opportunity uh, that you've given each and every one of us. You've brought together the perfect group of people by your sovereign will today to hear your word, to gather around, to sing your praises and worship together, and to pray, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your great salvation in Jesus Christ, and may we, Lord, be challenged to live in obedience to you today. Thank you. Amen. So really, this text starts with anxiety. Uh, the, one of the hymns we sang, the great old hymn, was, Here's my heart, O take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. And we repeated that several times as we were singing together. Here's my heart. This is what I really care about. The center of my being, what really matters to me. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Um, seal it for thy courts above. Why? Because I'm prone to wander. Um, I, I give my heart away. <laughs> my heart plays tricks on me and, and causes trouble. And I am, I'm a broken person. I'm, I'm inconsistent, and I need your help. I need your strength to be sanctified. And that's exactly where Jesus starts out in this text. Let not your hearts be troubled. So my title is Anxiety and Faith. And uh, we'll work together. We're going to go through verse 11 uh, as we spend some time in, in God's precious word. Let me read the text then. John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? 
Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. The Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. So Jesus starts out with this issue of, of anxiety. What do you have to worry about? Well, why is he t- starting with anxiety? First of all, let's define this word here in the text. Uh, the word is uh, terasso in Greek, terasso. And it means to agitate. Uh, we just you know, came off of a trip, and uh, toward the end of our trip, we always like to, after camping for, you know, 18 days, we go to a hotel <laughs> where there's clean sheets and a, a swimming pool and a hot tub, right? And when you're in the hot tub, it's wonderful. We, and what do you do? You turn the jets on, right? And it creates turbulence and bubbles and water moving all over. And that's this word, terrasso, means to agitate. Uh, and literally, physically, to trouble, as in, in water. Remember in John uh, 5, it talked about the man who uh, was sick for, I think it was 38 years, and they kept waiting for the waters to be troubled, and then the first one in the pool gets healed. Uh, That interesting tradition there. It's to agitate. But so it became a way of talking about how we feel. We, We feel troubled. You can be agitated, boiling, churning with fear. You ever have a churning with fear? You're afraid of what might happen, and uh, this feeling grabs your heart. It means to terrify with fear, to put in consternation. There's an old English word. Uh, that we don't use very often anymore. Consternation, consternation. But it means uh, that I, I'm, I'm really upset about the possibilities of something here. It's very, very scary, whatever's going on here. Uh, it, 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 it terrifies me. So, terrasso with fear, or terrasso with grief, to be agitated with grief which means to uh, be affected and to be filled with sorrow. Grief can hit you like a, like a log falling on you. You know, it's a, wow, I don't know what to do. I'm stunned. And if a, if a, a death occurs suddenly, um, a lot of times people are just numb. They don't know what to do at all. That's, that's the way this u- word is used in the Bible. Uh, to describe somebody who's just torn up with grief. Another way it's used in the Bible is with doubt. I'm agitated with doubt to unsettle. You know, I thought everything was going okay. Now, now I'm filled with doubt. I'm perplexed. Uh, 
I'm confused. So now Jesus makes this statement. And by the way, what do you have to worry about? The disciples are in this situation where Jesus has predicted extreme trying times. Remember at the very end of John 13, last week, uh, Jeremy preached through verses 36 and following, the end of it, right? And remember, this is how it goes. This is John 13. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? It's the same question. We don't get it. Where are you going? Why are you leaving us? What's going on here? Why, Why do we have to have change? Lord, Jesus answered him, and of course, the, the answer, we know, we know, you know, retrospectively, we know perfectly that he means he's going to go to the cross. He's going to die. He's going to go to the grave. He's going to go to the resurrection. He's going to go to the ascension. He's going to be in heaven, away from us. We don't physically see Jesus like they did because he's in heaven. Praise God. He's literally there praying for us. We have an advocate with the Father. We have somebody who's at the Father's right hand who's praying for us. Can I ask you a question? What kind of a mess do you need to be in to have to have Jesus pray for you? (laughs) A big mess. Do you understand what kind of a mess we're in? (laughs) How much prayer we really need? How vulnerable and how dangerous the spiritual condition in which we live really is, that's the kind of prayer protection we need. And we should revel in it, right? We should trust it. The Lord Jesus is interceding for me, and the Holy Spirit is praying for me when I don't know what to pray for. So all of this, when Peter says in 36 of 13, Lord, where are you going? It's all in there. You know, it's, it's, it's all amazing. Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. He's, I'm going to the cross, Peter, but you will follow afterward. Haunting words, because the, Peter was crucified, and, and by church tradition, he was crucified upside down. Rome, Rome had this ability to show its power, and it vented even... Worst power on Peter. Again, that's tradition. I wouldn't be surprised if we get into heaven. He goes, no, I never was crucified upside down. <laughs> I don't know where that story got started, but <laughs> in other words, we can't. That's not from the Bible. We don't know for sure. Uh, but um, he was crucified. Jesus said that he would be. He would stretch out his arms anyway and go to where he did not want to go. So Jesus is saying, but you will follow afterward. Peter answered him, Lord. Why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And of course, the ironic reality is, yes, you will. It won't happen until, you know, AD 68, but you will. But right now, it's not your time to die. And quite frankly, you will deny me. You are not ready for this. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So that's the immediate context uh, that Jesus is predicting this horrible upset, this troubling time, this horrendous situation that they're going to be dragged through, like being dragged through a knothole 
on a piece of lumber. That's the kind of situation that they are going to be going through. We do not know what our immediate future holds. You and I do not know. Uh, they didn't know either what their immediate future holds. Trying times. Some of us have to suffer. We used to sing a song. Some through the fire, some through the flood. Anybody remember that song? Yeah. I know a few old church folks. Yeah. Some through the but all through the blood. Uh, nice old song saying, hey, we don't know. Uh, my, like, for example, I was thinking of my father. He lived until uh, he was, I think, I should know this, but he was some age, <laughs> I think 82. And he lived fairly healthy, and he lived a pretty happy life, and he just died immediately in his sleep. Very little suffering, you know. Other people suffer a great deal. Some people are cut off in the middle of life. We don't know. This, this immediate future is unpredictable. Uh, so we have to have our faith in line because we don't know what is going to happen. And here's the punchline, of course. We do not know what our immediate future holds, but we do know who holds our future. We can know who holds the future. And that's where Jesus takes us to. Jesus issues orders. I love our military guys here. Uh, oftentimes you'll hear where I'm waiting for orders. I'm not sure where we're going to go. I could go anywhere. I'm hoping for this, hoping for that, but I'm waiting for my orders, right? Well, in this context, there are three strong orders, three imperatives is the linguistic word, meaning commands. Three commands here, uh, which is one, don't freak out, which is don't let your hearts be troubled. That's a command. It's not an option. Jesus is saying, listen, guys, it's not, you know, it's almost like he's grabbing them by the shirt and saying, get a hold of yourself! <laughs> In an extreme situation, get a hold of yourself! Don't let your heart be filled with just agitation. You have to learn to control your emotional response to stuff. That's what he's saying, right? A Christian, and it, it's a process. You, we should grow, we should be getting stronger. No one's perfect at this. Uh, I'm not suggesting that you're the worst sinner who ever lived if you have strong emotional responses to whatever. I mean, sometimes I have, you know, silly things. Like, I spill a cup of coffee, and it, it's like the end of the world. <laughs> Particularly if it was good coffee. I have a, and then I go into grief, and I'm numb, and I don't know what to do. <laughs> uh, you know, that's real human life. But Jesus is saying we can't allow ourselves to be given over to anxiety. Yes, the immediate future is unknown. And for you, first hearers of this, it's very, very difficult. But you can't let your heart be troubled. That's one command. Then these two other commands, they're... It's a little interpretive because the word believe, believe in God, believe also in me, in the English Standard Version here, it's translated as a command. And that's a proper way to translate the form of this word believe. But it can also be just an indicative instead of an imperative. It could be you believe in God, you believe in me, 
Or it could be, believe, you believe in God, believe also in me. I think the King James went that way. But I really think the ESV has got it right. In other words, the form can go either way, imperative or indicative. Uh, I think they've got it right because Jesus did this a lot. In his teaching, he, uh, he, he would never say, just let me share a few thoughts here. Uh, he, would say, he would stand up and be commanding. He, he said what was true, right? And he challenges us to higher living and to faithful responses to life. And so he gives us these commands. And I think he, he fully intends this. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. The issue of anxiety is faith. In other words, the solution to anxiety is trust, faith in God. When you give yourself to anxiety, you're saying, I just can't trust God right now. He's proven himself untrustworthy. Now, we'd probably never vocalize that, right? Um, my mom was, uh, had a great sense of humor, and every once in a while, we, you know, somebody would say, oh, well, we, we better trust God. And then she'd say, oh, has it come to that? <laughs> you know, that's where we are here. Oh, has it come to that? We have to trust God. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, yes, faith needs to fill that area that anxiety is now taking. You need to displace Force out the anxiety with confidence in who God is. That's why the Bible is so wonderfully clear uh, that God is absolutely sovereign. Uh, he is the sovereign God. That's, what it, that's the definition of God. He is the one who plans all, and all things work according to his counsel. Of him, through him, and to him are all things, even the big, difficult things or the small, frustrating things are from him as well. So Jesus issues orders. You know, almost the sound of the bugle or the coronet on the battlefield. A clear sound that can be heard above the confusion. One of our special forces guys was telling me how, what it's like to be uh, in the close vicinity of a 50-millimeter uh, machine gun shooting at the enemy. Uh, and it's, it's an extreme experience, but he said, strangely enough, you can just zone out all of that sound and focus on what needs to be done, uh, even though it's just an absolutely overwhelming, noisy situation. And, and I'm not saying Jesus is yelling at the top of his lungs, but he's saying, this is what you need to hear. This is what you need now. Somebody else wants you to give in to full anxiety, and I don't want you to. Three strong commands. Jesus reassures with warmth and strength. I love his counseling technique here. There's a warmth but it's strong. There's encouragement, but there's a backbone to it as well. You know, he says, guys, guys, I'm not going to abandon you. And look, look at the emphasis uh, of, of this. Uh, I mean, 
look, I mean, his tone, right? In verse 2. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? You say, this is me, guys. I, I've never misled you. I'm, I'm going to take care of you. Trust me. Trust me. Jesus reassures them with a warmth. Um, and I'll just develop this real quickly. Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. I've already told you, and you know what this means. This is a, a hyperlink to all of salvation. You know, click on this and you get all of the information. Uh, Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Well, what do you mean? I'm, I'm going to pay the penalty for your sin. I'm going to bear the, the brunt, the whole weight of the wrath of God for you. I'm going to become sin for you. Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. His whole purpose here is to save us. That's why you came. He came to save us. He didn't come to condemn us. He came to be our salvation. And he came to be with us. Look at how he puts this. Like I said, this warmth here. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. What is he saying? I want to be with you. I'm not abandoning you. I must go to the cross. I must pay the penalty. I must go through all of that. But I'm doing this all to prepare a place for you so that you can join me in my Father's house. His whole purpose is to be with us. One of the things that happens to us, we, we travel... Um, the old English expression, will o' the wisp, you know, we, do, we don't, we like, get a reservation? What are you kidding? <laughs> we sort of bumble along because we're road traveling. We're never sure exactly where we're going to be. But so, as I said, like on the last night of our adventure, we wanted to stay in a hotel. And uh, it's a long story. Sometimes it brings out sharp discussions, shall we say, in the van. About, and, and Charlotte's an amazing shopper. You, know, you got to really be smart to pick out the exact right hotel you want. I'd get the worst one, you know. And she was always uh, able to find just the perfect one. But it's, in other words, it becomes a really big issue about where are we going to stay tonight? I, I want to know. You know, here, I, I'm looking for clean sheets, hot shower, a hot tub that works. Uh, the hours of the pool. Does it have a hot breakfast? You know, well, what's going on at this hotel? It's, it's like super important. And, and Jesus is taking care of all of the issues to make sure our reservation is absolutely certain. You have no reason to be anxious. He's taking care of everything. At what cost? He's paying the bill. He has paid the bill Himself, Our reservation in heaven is prepaid, and it's utterly secure. It's paid by the death of Jesus Christ himself. This is how we can be free from anxiety. His purpose is to save us and to be with us. 
Jesus assumes that his teaching is enough. Again, I, I pointed this out as I read it, and then I, I repeated it again. He has a lot of assumptions here, Jesus does. Look at verse 4. And you know the way to where I am going. You know the way to where I am going. Now, of course, we know what happens next. Uh, Thomas says, I think there's this, like this awkward silence. And they all kind of look around and say, uh, uh, and then Thomas says, uh, excuse me, Lord, <laughs> we really don't know where you're going. <laughs> and, and, and we don't know the way. But before that, look at what's happening in the assumption of Jesus. And you know the way to where I am going. How could he say such a thing? Well, one thing is, he has taught them over and over and over again the way of salvation, the way to be right with God, the way to have full assurance. And here's a few examples in John. John 5, 24. They had already heard this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. Now, the disciples in this situation didn't put all this together, and I'm not blaming them, okay? I'd probably be just like they are, right? But Jesus has put it out there. Here's this principle. He's taught us. He's given us his word, and he expects us to trust it. He expects us to know it. He expects us to control our emotions based on his word. That's what this text is saying. Uh, it doesn't say uh, anything about getting prescriptions for anxiety in here, does it? It doesn't say go to the CVS and get your Prozac. He's suggesting that what we need is faith. What we need is knowledge. We need to be informed by the word of God. His teaching is adequate. He says, this is absolutely true. You will not come into judgment. You've passed from death to life. Here's another one. John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He taught them this. He expected them to know it. Here's another one. This is John 8, 24. Put into a negative context. He's talking to his enemies here. He says this. This is 8.24. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's very harsh, isn't it? But it's very true. Jesus is saying to his enemies, this is a stark contrast. It's a bright line of division that either you believe in me and you believe that I am he. I am the one. And this is loaded language here. We've gone into this several times because it's ego emi in Greek, which is I am that I am. He's really saying, I am Yahweh. I am the God of the Bible. I'm the God of the Old Testament. I am he and unless you believe that, you will die in your sins. 
There's no other way to have your sins forgiven than to know that Jesus is your Savior and that he is everything he said he was. That's, that's very potent. It's in John 8, 24. I'm not making this up. It's, this is what he's already taught us. John 8, 24. But the disciples have not gotten it. I want to take a little minute here just to think about this because I, I think it's a wonderful conundrum in theology because Jesus has now been teaching them like for three years. And I just brought out three examples where he's taught them the, you know, the clearly what it takes to be saved is to have faith in Jesus Christ completely. And that he's saying, I'm the source. You, you can have emotional stability. You can have all your needs met. You can have the bread of life. You will not hunger. You will never thirst. All of that's in there. He's taught them and taught them and taught them. And this is what we should do in Christian education. This is what we do at VBS. It's a little introduction. You know, this is the truth. This is the truth. In fact, one of the themes is this is the way. Walk in it. It's a, this VBS is about uh, pretending to go on a big trip. Walk in this path. Follow the cairns, the markers of the trail. Follow this path. It's the right way. And, and we teach, and we ought to teach. All of our Sunday schools about that. Our sermons are about that. We teach, and we teach, and we teach. But what's the missing element? Why didn't the disciples quite get it, right? Because the other side of the coin is, none of us ever can get this without the work of God's Holy Spirit. And so we should be praying for God's Holy Spirit to open our hearts and minds to understand the truth. Uh, we've talked about this a few times, but here's one of the classic references on this is First. Corinthians 2.14, the disciples have not gotten this because the truth is spiritually discerned. This is 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of God. Now there's a little rebellion in that, really. They're saying, forget it. I can't believe that stuff. It's too narrow. It's, 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 it's too uh, denominational. <laughs> It's too, uh, no, it's not pluralistic. It's not diversity. It's against this great American value of diversity. And, and you won't teach me that. I will not believe that. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We need God's Holy Spirit to open our hearts and minds to these truths. It's actually one mark of a true believer. Somebody who's a true believer believes this stuff because the Holy Spirit has opened their heart and they, they trust it. They know him and they, they're hungry for the truth and they're excited about reading the scriptures and they're the ones who want to study the Bible. Listen to Luke 24, 45. It happens later on after the resurrection. Luke 24, 45. And it's Jesus and his disciples. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. It's like, 
Well, you've been teaching us for three years, and now you finally open our eyes to understand the scriptures? Uh, well, God has a perfect timing for everything. We can't uh, argue with his timing. But it's, like I said, it's, it's this interesting conundrum. It's the human effort of all teaching and persuasion. We should persuade people. We should reason with them. We should give them good logical arguments, all the time knowing that none of it is any good without God's work. We depend on God. Without me, you can do nothing. Um, I, Psalm 127 is one of my favorite psalms. It says, those who build a house labor in vain unless the Lord builds it. Those who preach a sermon without depending on the Holy Spirit labor in vain. Here's John 20, 22, our own gospel, John 20, 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So what is my point here? My point is, let's give the disciples a little slack. It's a very confusing situation. We don't know exactly what they knew or understand. But also, let's understand that we depend on the Holy Spirit. And if what I've been saying to you today seems like a bunch of baloney, why don't you ask God to open your heart and pray that he will give you understanding of this truth because it depends on God's work to open our hearts to understand and believe what the Holy Spirit has said here. Now let's, let's finish this text out because we get to one of the, the most wonderful verses in all of the Bible. Again, this odd, awkward pause. Jesus says, hey, I'm assuming that you know what I taught and that my teaching is enough. And Thomas says, uh, Lord, we, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And notice the repetition here. Jesus said, you know the way. And Thomas says, we do not know the way. It's all the same word. It means pathway, trail, road. In Spanish, it's camino, el camino. The way. Jesus said to him, and I, I like this because to me it's like a softball analogy. I used to pitch in softball back in the day. And, you know, you, you think of giving somebody just a soft, easy pitch. Here you go. Hit this one, right? And Thomas has given Jesus such an easy pitch here to whack out of the park. And this is a beautiful home run. Jesus said to him, I am. I am, ego me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the source of everything. Which way to go? Thomas boldly asks a question. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the road. He's the connection. He is the truth. You know, my, my heart aches for brilliant people who say they're on a quest for truth but think Jesus is a big joke. And they think the Bible is a, a tale of, of lies and stories and myths, right? You, you're, you're looking at the truth and ignoring it. You're missing it because Jesus is the truth. This is the truth. You know, and the disciples picked this up. 
Look with me at Acts chapter 4. This is classic. I, and I don't think I really get into this often enough. Acts chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. A sermon from Simon Peter. After he had denied Christ three times, he was restored. Judas denied Christ and committed suicide. He ended it all. Peter denied Christ but hung in there, and he was forgiven and restored. Uh, there's life after making the biggest mistake you've ever made, if you, if you choose to hang in there, and, and, and Peter did. And, and this is a great sermon that he preached, and here's a couple of words from it, Acts 4, 11, and 12. <clears throat> this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Every word of that is precious and wonderful. There is salvation in no one else. We're not talking about like a plur plurality, diversity of different faiths or different spiritual paths and they all climb up the mountain uh, and they all get to the top. No, the Bible is saying it, 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 that's impossible. There's only one person who paid for your sins. Only one person adequate, perfect enough, holy, holy, holy enough to pay for your sins on the cross and that was Jesus Christ. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So he's talking about all, every culture, everywhere in the world, under heaven, every human culture. The only salvation for every culture. See, see the, the gospel and Jesus, it's not an American thing. Very careful to know that. We shouldn't say that you have to become an American to become a Christian. <laughs> or, or Americans are better Christians than somebody else. Uh, it, Christianity is not American. It's, it's supra-cultural. It's above all human cultures. And it's the only salvation for all human cultures. And you can be a, <coughs> a wonderful Indian person, a, 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 a person who expresses himself through great Indian ways and not be an American at all. You can be a bloody communist, for heaven's sakes, and be a good Christian. Um, I think so, <laughs> with some modifications here and there. What is the point? It's, there's no other name given among anybody else whereby you must be saved. You must be saved this way. Every, that's what uh, Richard Wormbrandt says. I love the communists. These are the people who poked na hot nails through his head, you know, crazy stuff. I love them. They need to love Jesus. He felt his heart went out to them. Um, and what am I saying here? Jesus is the means of salvation for all of us. That's what it means. He's the way, the truth, and the life. You know, so in this whole context, if our life is consumed with anxiety, we're not really experiencing Jesus very much, are we? Who's the bread and the water, the supply we need. 
it gets back to those three basic commands. Don't freak out. Believe in God. Believe in me. That's where you should be, Christian. If you are a Christian, that's where I should be. Jesus is the only connection to the Father. Faith is the solution to anxiety. Jesus is the only connection to the Father. As he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. You cannot separate the two. You can't say, well, I love God, but I don't want anything to do with Jesus. Well, it's impossible because Jesus is God. You can't separate the two. You can't choose which one you want. They're both God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in fact, cannot be separated from each other. How important is this? Without this truth, you miss God altogether. Without this truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, you miss God altogether. Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in him. This is brought out by this question from Philip. I'm not spending much time on it, but look at verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Jesus and the Father are completely connected. And so, you know, it's this silly notion in this world that says, oh, I like God and I want God, but I don't want Jesus. I don't want to have to admit I'm a sinner and that he died for my sins because that's insulting to me. You, 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 you can't do that. You know, you're becoming God yourself at that point, making that kind of judgment. Jesus is in the Father. You cannot separate the two. Without this truth, you are lost forever. And I just, you know, my advice to you is two points. One, please place your complete faith in Jesus Christ. My second is, please place your complete faith in Jesus Christ. The same thing. <laughs> For believers, place your faith in Jesus. Quit pulling it back. And for unbelievers, you need to come to Jesus. You need to trust him completely. You need to confess that you are a sinner. You need to be forgiven. We're all sinners. We're all alike. We all need his powerful gift of salvation and mercy. I want to close with this really quick. Put your faith into practice. Trust in Jesus and the Father, know his word, and depend on it. Displace your anxiety with faith. Uh, I can't help but talk a little bit about our trip here at the very end. This is Mount St. Helens, right outside of Vancouver, Washington. And this is just uh, like a day before the eruption of Mount St. Helens. It erupted in 1980. And that's the peak. And this is, this is how it looks afterwards. This is how it looks today. Uh, after, I can't remember the date, but it's like June 28th or 9th or something in 1980. So you see a little difference there? Okay, we'll go over this again. There's one. There's two. There's one. Which is better? This one? This one? This one? This one? <laughs> there's one. There's two. Mount St. Helens. It was a huge eruption. They, they did a whole lot of study of it. This, this, I want to introduce you to this guy, David Johnston. 
And there's an observatory six miles away now from Mount St. Helens. It's called the Johnston Ridge Observatory. And he's 30 years old. This is taken a little over a week before the eruption. And uh, he knew more about volcanoes uh, than anybody else in the United States. And he did a tremendous amount of study, and several people did. And they, they, they came up with this theory that um, we think we know what's going to happen here. Uh, there was a volcano in Japan that had, that had erupted very similar to the way that it looks like this is going to happen. And it erupted over uh, 27 square miles. So they figured that, okay, if we're six miles away, we can safely observe this thing. And David was there, uh, a PhD and a volcano expert, six miles away, uh, observing this. And, and finally the day, you know, the thing was, a bunch of stuff happened, a bulge occurred, steam was shooting up, and the people said, oh, come on, nothing's going to happen. And there was a huge political pressure from like the governor and everything else in Washington. Let the people back in. They want to sail their boats on Spirit Lake. They want to go fishing, for heaven's sakes. Let's let thousands of people into this area again. And this guy and a few others said, no. He said, quote, the fuse has been lit, and we don't know how long that fuse is, but this thing is going to blow. So he's six miles away from it when it erupted. He was there. He watched it, and they have a radio transmission from him that says, Vancouver, Vancouver, this is it. Now, what he didn't know was it was different from the Japanese volcano. Its eruption went over, I think it was 270 square miles, not 27. I think it was actually 500. 500. It is huge. And sad to say, David perished quickly. Within seconds, the blast was straight at him with 700 degrees Fahrenheit hot gases and stones this size hurling at him at 300 miles an hour. It blasted out and just tore up that whole vicinity. For everywhere the eye could see, the trees were smashed and it was crazy. So what's my point here? Well, this guy didn't have enough information. <laughs> he thought he knew, and we love this guy because he saved thousands of lives. He's an American hero. But he had limited information. But he was really certain of it. He'd done his research, he'd made his choice, and he paid the price. He really did. And again, he's an he, American hero. I'm not dis denigrating him, but I'm saying spiritually, many people underestimate the wrath of God. They think, oh, come on, it's not that bad. I can handle this on my own. I'm six miles away. I'm sorry, you need to be 150 miles away. Uh, it's, it's huge. You can't handle the wrath of God. God. God made this little volcano just a little illustration of his power. And he is angry at sin. He's angry at your sin. He's angry at my sin. Something has to take that wrath. And Jesus Christ has taken it. He says, I am the way. Trust me and you will be saved from the wrath to come. And, and I can't say it any stronger than to show you this brave American who was underinformed about the power of, of Mount St. Helens. 
Let's pray, O oh Father God. We depend on you to open our hearts to your great truth. Father, thank you for the three strong words of Jesus. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. Believe in Jesus. We pray that your Holy Spirit will teach us that, that we will be people of faith, we will be people of of joy and gratitude and, and trust and confidence, and that for those in this room who've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, please, oh Father, in your kindness, open their hearts fully to their dire straits, their dangerous situation, and uh, open them to Jesus, I pray. Lord, thank you for your precious word today. Help us to be people of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.